everyone, and welcome to the Homicide Homegirls podcast, a weekly true crime podcast examining the true crime cases that fascinate and intrigue us. I'm Arielle. And I'm Amanda. Thanks for joining us. We can't wait to share the details of this wild episode with you. Today, we're going to discuss the unsolved murder of Jennifer Harris, a 28-year-old woman who went missing from the small town of Bonham, Texas in the early 2000s. Bonham, Texas, which is one of the oldest cities in the whole state of Texas, is located in Fannin County, which is in the northeast corner of Texas, almost into Oklahoma, actually. For reference, Dallas is about 72 miles southwest of Bonham. As of the 2010 census, Bonham had a population of around 10,000 people, so Bonham is a very, very small town, which, according to everything that I've read, the Bonham being such a small town has led to this case becoming somewhat of an urban legend in Bonham. That makes sense, yeah. Um, growing up in a very small town myself, um, the town where I grew up is actually about a third of the size of Bonham. I looked it up. I have no idea how big my town is, like where I grew up. Like. Yeah, mine is literally a third of the size of Bonham. So Bonham is small, my town was super small. Everyone always knows everyone else's business. So I can see how a murder happening in such a small town, you know, would be that that's all people are talking about. Right. So I can totally see how, you know, this became sort of an urban legend. Um, so first we're going to start with a little bit of background information on Jennifer. Um, in the 48 Hours episode titled Murder on Red River, Jennifer's sister, Alyssa Wernick, described her sister as adorable, a goofball, lovable, and a Lucille Ball type. Very classy woman. And I've looked up pictures of Jennifer and I can totally see that. She had quite possibly the reddest hair I have ever seen. And she was just, she was so beautiful. And if you want to see pictures of Jennifer, um, make sure you check out our social media accounts because as we usually do, we're going to post several pictures. Um, of Jennifer there to you know coincide with the this episode being released so definitely check that out and you, you'll definitely see what I'm talking about. Um, Jennifer Harris was a high school cheerleader and a tennis player. Um, Jennifer had her master's degree in marine biology um, and according to most everyone who knew her she had a very bright future and an entire career ahead of her when she suddenly vanished. Um, Jennifer started dating Robert Holman, or Rob, that's what I'm going to call him from here on out, um, when she was in sixth grade and Rob was in fifth grade. And the couple were completely inseparable by the time that they hit high school. That's actually sort of sweet. Yeah. Kind of like high school sweethearts. Well, I guess middle school sweethearts in this case. I mean, it it makes sense from Mm -hmm. that whole small town. Once Jennifer graduated high school, she moved three hours away to attend college. And a couple years later, Rob followed her, and in 1996, the couple got married. Unfortunately, a year after the wedding, Jennifer's mother passed away after a battle with cancer. Um, According to Jennifer's sister, Jennifer grew up really quickly after losing her mother and became a more open-minded person. And keep this in mind, because this will be kind of important later. So, in 1999, Jennifer and Rob bought a house in Dallas, 
which Jennifer absolutely loved and seemed to flourish in the big city. But on the other hand, Rob was having a really hard time adjusting to life in the big city. You know, he was more of a small town boy kind. So most, according to most people who knew them, he was not adjusting well. Jennifer loved it. He was missing bottom. Yeah. So, and Jennifer was starting to embrace a more holistic lifestyle. And she enrolled in massage therapy school. So, like, she didn't go with the marine biology. Yeah, She I guess, swapped it up. Yeah, so she went to school for um, massage therapy. While she was in school, she met James Hamilton, who was, you know, very holistic type, open-minded um, individual like her. And when they met, James was currently living with the mother of his child, and he had another baby on the way with her. And Jennifer was still married to Rob. So they're both with other people, have other relationships, other things going on in their lives when they meet. But evi- like pretty evidently, they had a connection. Right. So Jennifer was immediately drawn to him, and her sister told Jennifer that getting involved with James was not a good idea. But as most little sisters do, Jennifer didn't listen. So Jennifer, you know, started a relationship with James. Um, And because according to a lot of people, her relationship with Rob was kind of up and down and and volatile. Um, Actually, according to Jennifer's sister, Jennifer called her one night and told her that Rob came home drunk and raped her. Oh, no. However, Jennifer never reported the assault. Which is pretty common. Yeah, I, I do. I feel like that's pretty common because if a woman is raped by her husband, I feel like she's reluctant to report it. And apparently, marital rape is a thing. Oh yeah, very, very common. Right, a thing that's still legal in some places. Yeah, because it still belongs to me, and if right. I don't want to give it to you. Right, and, and I looked it up, and according to NPR. Um, most states had marital rape exceptions, meaning that a husband could re- could not rape his wife because they were married. Oh, so you mean... He could rape his wife, but he wouldn't get charged for it. So, so if he could rape me, if my husband could rape me and not be charged with it, could I murder him and not be charged with it? That's a very good point, but, you know... Because ain't nobody coming for me. Right. So, um, like I said, most states had marital rape exceptions until 1979, but by 1993, marital rape was technically illegal in all states. However, there are still some states that have loopholes. Um, South Carolina and Ohio, just to name a few, or name a couple. Um, that, that, that blows my mind, that it is 2019, and these type of laws still, still exist. Like, why? Um, yeah. Do it, better. Like, do better. When, no. when it, you, that, I'm pretty sure that's not included in the vows of um, any marriage. Right. Um, just because we're married doesn't mean I have to give it to you when you want it. Exactly. But, I mean, there, there should be a level of respect, which is probably exactly. in the vows. <laughs> exactly. But I digress. Anyway, I just thought those were kind of, those kind of, well, I wanted, I was going to say interesting, but more disgusting is probably more. Word. Yeah. Um, but after Jennifer's disappearance, Rob would tell police that she was the one who got violent with him at times. Mm-hmm. Typical although, man. Typical Right. Man. Although there's never been any concrete proof of that either. So eventually, Rob and Jennifer split up, and Rob moved back to Bonham. So and, he could be happy again. <laughs> right. His small town boy. Um, and then Jennifer moved in with her new love interest, James Hamilton. 
the two started a massage therapy business together in Dallas. And according to Jennifer's family, James wanted to marry her. However, she didn't want to get married again, which obviously caused friction between them at times. Yeah. So did they ever say um, about him and his whatever she was? Yeah, I haven't read too, too much on that. I'm like, not really they sure. weren't married, right? No. So, I don't think I mean, so. I guess he just deuced out. Like, All right. Bigger, not, better things. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Um, I'll mention that a little bit later. But I don't, I don't really know. Um, but by the spring of 2002, Jennifer's life had taken a turn sort of into chaos. Um, by this time, she had divorced her husband, Rob, and her relationship with James was also falling apart. And to make matters worse, uh, the massage business that she started with James was um, failing, so she was forced to file bankruptcy. No. Right, so with everything falling apart, Jennifer turned back to what was familiar, Rob. We, we have all been there, ladies. <laughs> right. Um, so Jennifer told one of her cousins that she'd been speaking to Rob again, who now had a new girlfriend. So that adds a little, another element to it. <laughs> Plot twist. Right. Um, actually, during the investigation after her disappearance, Rob admitted to police that even though he had a girlfriend, he and Jennifer were still having sex. In his videotaped interview with police, he went so far as to admit that he and Jennifer had slept together four or five times since Christmas in the year prior. And this all happened in the spring, so like around May. So in May, they had slept together four or five times in about four-ish months, all while he had a girlfriend. (laughs) Was there any validation of that? I mean, I I feel like why would he tell police that if it wasn't true? Because it's going to make you look more suspicious so yeah but I mean let picture me being Jennifer and this man having maritally raped me the right. last thing I would do is let him have it that's true um but in the 48 hours episode you know her cousin they interviewed her cousin and she said you know she was pretty sure that you know she was seeing Rob again actually six weeks before she went missing she moved back to Bonham from Dallas everyone assumed to be with Rob so on the day that she went missing, um, Jennifer called Rob and asked to see him, but he had made plans with his girlfriend so he couldn't see her, which allegedly upset her. Which, I mean, I get, I, get, I get it. If you're sleeping with me, but you're making plans with your girlfriend, but you're still, even though they were married at one point, at this point, she was the other woman. So Yeah. So I get it. I get why she was upset, though, because I probably would be she, too. Yeah, I mean, maybe she thought... Maybe she, or maybe he's telling her, I'm going to leave her. We don't really know. Or she could just assume that she has the upper hand. Right. He was mine first. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, So, as I already said, um, Jennifer Harris was 28 years old when she went missing on May 12, 2002, which was actually Mother's Day that year. Um, On that day, she was visiting her friend Christy Farr in the early part of the evening when she just out of nowhere told her friend hey i gotta go and left and apparently that was around eight o'clock according to christy um eight o'clock in the evening um but she didn't tell christy where she was going but she didn't return home that night and that was the last time anyone would ever see her um the next day jennifer's vehicle a jeep was discovered abandoned 
parked on the side of the road, um, a little bit down from a local music spot called Lake Bonham Hoedown. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't mean to laugh, but how Texas is this name? <laughs> Yeehaw. Um, so on May 18, 2002, six days after she disappeared, Jennifer's nude body was discovered floating in the Red River by a fisherman. Jennifer's autopsy classified her manner of death as violent homicide. That's pretty specific. And I think they, her body was in the water, so there really wasn't much evidence. And they, um, like, officials believe she was strangled, but because her body was so badly decomposed, you know, likely from being in the water, the medical examiner could not determine her cause of death. Exactly. Um, I mean, at that point, I'm pretty sure, like, like get, you know right um access and, and it was also discovered during her autopsy that jennifer's uterus had somehow been removed hold up her whole uterus how does one remove a uterus i, I do not was know was she born with a uterus i would assume so yeah was there any like lacerations like was it I don't know. Open? They I mean, they haven't how do you, they haven't said too much, but you know, in the years since her murder, people have often debated whether it was intentionally removed, or you know, if it was um, removed as a result of wildlife from you know in the in the river. Um, but eventually, um, forensic experts in Dallas concluded that her uterus and other body parts were not removed intentionally by her killer but they were eaten by turtles and fish in the river where her body was disposed of. That's, I mean, that's what forensic experts have said. I don't know how I feel I mean, about I'd that. I'd be interested to see, like, autopsy photos, because I just can't visualize, like, how that would, right, like, how, how do you remove someone's uterus without cutting them? Unless she was that badly decomposed. Yeah, she, and she was pretty badly decomposed, because she was in, she had potentially been in, in the six water days. for six days, potentially, if, if she was murdered the day that she went missing. I, I don't know, I thought, like, if they were in the water, it wasn't necessarily decomposed, it was maybe a little more preserved. I don't know, I'm not a, I don't know, I'm not an expert on that. Um, yeah. And um, according to the police case file on her disappearance, there was no scientific proof to prove that she was pregnant at the time of her death. Yeah, because she didn't have a uterus. Right. And I would assume, like, you can't do blood tests or anything because she's been in the water. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know. Um, so we're going to talk about the investigation a little bit. Um, so in 2016, um, Mark Johnson was on the campaign trail. Um, he was running for sheriff of Fannin County, Texas. And while on the campaign trail, you know, he met Jennifer Harris's father, Jerry, and, um, you know, father to father, he made a promise to look into Jennifer's, um, you know, Jennifer's unsolved murder, which at that time was 15 years old. Um, so once elected, you know, Sheriff Johnson made good on his promise, and one of his first demands he made as sheriff was for Jennifer's case files to be brought to him. Oh, good. Um... So when he first started looking at the cold case, um, Sheriff Johnson found that there was little evidence in the file, and some of the evidence had even been damaged or destroyed. Excuse me? There were apparently pods behind the sheriff's office where a lot of evidence was stored, and I guess they leaked 
a lot of evidence got wet and some of it got destroyed. Look, I understand this is real life and things happen, but this is unacceptable, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and the original investigators have often been accused of mishandling her case. Um, this infuriated me when I was researching. Um, Jennifer's clothing, including um, a bra, jeans, and a shirt, her keys, and her laptop computer, which were all originally booked into evidence, have somehow mysteriously disappeared. Vanished. Yes. Or just like she did. That's such, how, that's such trash. How, how does that even happen? Like, this happened in the Derek Todd Lee episode that we did, like in that case. Um, remember when the shotgun, the stolen shotgun mysteriously disappeared before they could book it into evidence? So oh, police right. couldn't arrest him. Right. Using the stolen shotgun, the shotgun that he had pawned. Yeah. Right. Because um, they couldn't charge him with theft of the firearm because they didn't have the evidence. I mean, come on. Like, we have got to do better. This kinda, is kind of like you can't charge somebody with, uh, with murder without a weapon or something like that. Right. Like, for the most part. Well, yeah, they needed the gun to prove that. Yeah. It was just, he stole it and yeah. pawned it. So, um, y'all gotta do better, y'all. Right. So, um, in the beginning of the investigation into Jennifer's disappearance, both Rob, her ex-husband, and James Hamilton, her ex-boyfriend, agreed to speak to investigators without a lawyer present. And even though neither man was under arrest, they were both read their Miranda rights, which I found kind of odd. Why would you read someone they were in rights if you're not under arrest? Wait, was that in the beginning of your Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I, maybe they were just making sure that um, they understood. I know, like, so when I was in dispatch, some of the guys would um, advise over the radio, you know, Miranda rights read. And I think that's just to cover their, you know, CYA. Right. Um, in case they end up having to make an arrest, then they can't throw out whatever mm-hmm. questions they ask okay. in the beginning. So, I mean, I, I guess that it. makes more sense. Um, but both men did deny seeing Jennifer the night that she disappeared. Um, her former boyfriend, James, produced an alibi. He was with a friend at a McDonald's over an hour away from Bottom around the time that investigators believe um, that Jennifer disappeared, and James also took and passed a lie detector test, but we all know how reliable mm-hmm. those are. Not at all, which is why they're not admissible in court. So, I, I just, I genuinely hope that this polygraph is not the only reason that police didn't look into him too closely. Right. Um, but, you know, although James was able to produce an alibi, Rob was not as fortunate. This is going to anger you, so giving you a warning. I'm like already one of those questions. I know, I know. So he told police he went out to buy beer. Well, on the night that Jennifer disappeared, mm-hmm. he went out to buy beer and visit some friends, but they weren't home. So he drove around rural, rural roads in Fannin County for five hours. Stop. No, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. Who does that? Who just drives around for Let five hours? Let me just hours? stamp the word guilty on your forehead. Thank you. This sounds so sketchy. That's like not I mean, to mention that the ex-husband does not have an alibi, and he was sleeping with her. Yes, they were. Then they were still having. And she's know, missing it of her uterus. <laughs> like hello, right? But it gets. Were cell phones like a thing back then? When was this? Two thousand two. Two thousand two. So yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, they're probably not as good as they were. They are now. But yeah, I don't know if they like could have tried to pull cell and track them. Maybe like me. 
if I'm riding around for five hours, I'm gonna be like, take my phone. I mean, right. I made this call. I mean, I'm right. gonna be using data, network data on my phone. Like, I'm right. That's yeah. That's a good point. Like, I didn't even think about that. I don't. I guess maybe they didn't do that. I don't know. If y'all are um, listening, y'all better call that sheriff <laughs> for real. Um, but you know, soon um, the bombshell came out that would you know puzzle officers. Uh, Jennifer's best friend Jill came in and she told investigators that um, Jennifer told her that she was pregnant just weeks before she died. So her uterus was missing for a reason. That, that's why. That's why. I don't know if I can get on board with the whole wildlife. Right. I mean, if... I don't want to get too graphic, but... Right. I'm just going to leave that alone. But So, you know, investigators wondered, you know, who was the father, you know, Rob or James. They, They didn't know. So, you know, this piece of information, you know, puzzled them even more. You know, like I said, once her autopsy reported that her uterus had been removed you know like I'm, we like we just talked sorry, about if, if somebody says that a, a uterus was removed even before the word pregnant had been thrown mm-hmm. out I'd, I'd be on like on high alert right um so jill went on to tell police that jennifer had told her that the baby was for rob her ex-husband rob also told investigators that jennifer had told him that she was pregnant about a month before she disappeared. Dude, just stop talking and line right. her up, please. But, you know, as you just I, keep digging. Yeah, but, you know, as I mentioned before, there was no evidence uncovered during her autopsy that suggested she was pregnant at the time of her death. So I don't really know. Um, but, you know, with no other leads and little to go on, you know, her case quickly went cold. Because, you know, as far as investigators, you know, were thinking or... I guess that's what I would be thinking. It's got to be Rob or James. It's got to be, I mean, it's got to be one of them. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, the chances of it being some random stranger are probably, especially in that small town, you know, the chances of it. Somebody would have slipped up. Right. Um, so her family turned elsewhere, private investigators. So Jim Holloway, who's a private eye, is currently, or was helping the Harris family find answers. And so is Daryl Parker, who is a former Fannin County Sheriff's Lieutenant and a Marine. Um, he's now a private investigator, and so he's been working with Jennifer's family in hopes to help them find answers completely pro bono. What? That's and awesome. he's been on the case for, like, years. Yeah, like I was about to ask if yeah. and, um, that's awesome. Right. According, well, I think Daryl and um, Jerry, Jennifer's dad, bonded because they're both Marines. Oh. Or they're both former Marines. Yeah. So, you know, like the whole brotherhood thing. Yeah. So. And I'm, you know, so and and I mean, did they ever specify if Daryl was employed at the sheriff's office when this case was going on? Yeah, he was. So he was. So, so he, just, he just continued yeah. once he, I guess, retired, um, or once he became a private investigator. Um, but according to him, the sheriff's office file was very small, and included many duplicates of the same paperwork. So, from what I've read, I don't think he was there when she was murdered. I think he came on later. Mm-hmm. Um, but just wanted to clear that up. So, according to Daryl Parker, Jennifer had blue mud on her body when she was found. And according to fishermen, there's only two spots where that blue mud exists, like along the banks of the Red River. Okay. And in one of those spots, a caretaker's cottage or shed 
burned down the night that she disappeared. Quote right. unquote burned down. Right. Like Cheryl She Shed. I mean <laughs> Like Cheryl She Shed. <laughs> burned her she shed. Um, yeah. So Parker and Holloway, the other guy he's working with, um, they both believe that the cottage may have been burned to the ground in order to cover up evidence. Uh yeah. Yeah. However, when they excavated like the whole area, like around it ten feet this way, fifteen feet this way, you know, and, and they even drained a whole well. They didn't find anything. So, it, I'm not really... I don't really know if that's related or not. I mean, they haven't found anything. So, I don't know. As we already discussed, 48 Hours did a really great episode on Jennifer's case. And um, as part of that episode, they flew Joe Mora, who's a private investigator and a CBS news consultant. And I bet you if you looked him up, you would you would recognize him. Because I did. I, did. I recognize him from, like, different different shows um but they they flew him from boston massachusetts to dallas to take a look at jennifer's case um they were just hoping that a set of fresh eyes might help um you know maybe find something they previously missed um but um so after reviewing the files joe stated that the file and investigation on her case seemed pretty weak um he spoke to fannin county sheriff mark johnson that we've already we already talked about him a little bit um, and they visited the area of the shed that was burned down that we just talked about. Um, and they visited the bank of the Red River where Barry Wernick believes his sister-in-law's body was dumped. And I already m- mentioned Alyssa Wernick, Jennifer's sister. Mm-hmm. Barry is her husband. Okay. Um, however, um, Joe didn't necessarily agree with the other men's assessment of these things. Um, he didn't think the fire was related to Jennifer. And he makes a really good point that if you kill somebody, you're not going to light up a shed to draw attention, you know, to it. You know, like, like, so like if you just, like if you just murdered somebody and put them in the river, you're not right there. You're not going to light up a shed. And so close to where they could just Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, no, it does, but yeah. I mean, some criminals are stupid. So, I mean, <laughs> there is the possibility that, yeah, like that it could be related. Stupid, like driving around for five hours and no alibi, whatever. <laughs> Amen. Um, and he also, you know, stated that visiting the bank of the Red River was, you know, nothing more than a guess because there's no evidence that that's where Jennifer's body was dumped. So, I mean, but Mora also stated he was surprised that investigators wrote James off as a suspect so quickly, which, same. Um, so according to notes that Jennifer's father made, two months after her death, James called Jennifer's father asking about her life insurance policy. Red flag. Red flag. So many. A bouquet of red flags. Um, this makes James look super suspicious. Like suspect Suspish. as heck. Suspicious. Weren't, I mean, weren't they just dating? Why would he assume that he would be the beneficiary? I guess you can make your beneficiary anybody you want. But no, yeah, you can, but she's already made it clear that she didn't want to get married, so... Yeah, why would you think she was putting you in her beneficiary? I don't, I don't know. I haven't read who her beneficiary was. Did we ever figure was. out, like, the time frame that they were together? I'm not exactly sure. Um, well, I know they, she moved to Dallas in, like, 99, and then shortly after that, she Unless he was s- implying that if it was still Rob, then maybe they need to look uh, that way. I don't know. But, you know, I mean, until I got married, my mom was my beneficiary on everything so I was not putting anybody else 
until we were married. Yeah. Or I was related, unless I was related to them. So, period. Again, off me? Right. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, back to the story. Um, so, Joe believes that investigators didn't look into James as a suspect as much as they should have. Um, you know, police just took his alibi that he was at that McDonald's 50 miles away with a friend as gospel without really properly following up on it. Um, I mean, isn't that like detective work 101? You, you have to verify people's alibis. Otherwise, right. you, you don't know if they're telling you the truth or feeding you a pack of lies. I mean, I would I'm, think that that's supposed to be how it works. Yeah, but according to him, when he was looking at the file, according to Joe Moore, when he was looking at the file, it didn't seem like they really vetted his alibi. They might have just had that that mindset, like, we know who did it, we're going this way. Which is that crap. Happens. <laughs> Total crap. Um, you know, and I'm an auditor, and a saying we use a lot is trust but verify. Yes. So I feel like that should be a phrase law enforcement lives by as well. Like I literally, I tell my brand new staff all the time, trust but verify. Right. And I feel like police should do that too. Oh, uh, duh. You can't just they like work with liars all the time. Exactly. Um, Joe also thought it was odd, like I said earlier, that investigators immediately read Rob and James their Miranda rights from the jump, just like at the very beginning of their interviews. Mm-hmm. And according to Joe, that's unheard of. Like he's really never seen that. Um, and he thinks it probably, you know, scared them, Rob and James, which may have deterred them from, you know, telling detectives the whole truth at the very beginning. I mean, if you're reading me my Miranda rights, you can tell me I'm not under arrest. It's still going to freak me out. And I'm still going to lawyer. How about that? Right. How about them apples? <laughs> um, let's see. So Joe Mora also found this, this little fact interesting. And this blows my mind. Anyway, so one year after Jennifer's murder... A woman named Deborah Lambert saw a news report about her unsolved murder, so that prompted her to go to police, and she told them that she saw something while driving across the Red River Bridge on the day that Jennifer went missing. Tell me more. (laughs) All suspenseful. Um, According, okay, and the grammar in here is not the best, but I literally, this is verbatim what she said. So it's cringeworthy. Right. And this came from the 48 Hours episode. They showed the actual video. Okay. Um, So according to her police interview, quote, there was three guys out there and a girl. And two guys had the girl by her elbows, and it was like she was trying to get away from them, and they were restraining her. I made eye contact with her, and she was scared, terrified look on her face. My mom seen her too, and she said, that girl's fixing to get raped and killed, end quote. (sighs) And she didn't say this till a year later? Mm-hmm. What is wrong with people? <laughs> right. That was painful to read because the grammar was terrible. Um, oh, my God. Yes. So, Deborah told police the girl she saw was white and had reddish brown hair. Hello. She also told police that she hadn't called them immediately because she was too scared to get involved at first. People are so stupid. <laughs> so, Have you guys ever heard of karma? There's good karma and there's bad karma. This is bad karma. If you see something, say something. Yeah, and the good karma will come around. Like, God forbid something happens to one of your family members one day. Mm-hmm. And Homicide Homegirls rule number one. If you see something, <laughs> say, say something. something. We're going to have to keep the list. Deborah put Jennifer near the bridge around 5 p.m., but investigators didn't focus on this too much because it didn't fit in with the timeline of the case since investigators believe that Jennifer left her friend Christie's home at 8 p.m. And what time did you say she saw it? Five. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Deborah says she saw her at five on the bridge, but Joe made a really another really he's I don't know I just really like so him. brilliant. Yeah, he made a really good point. Um, he said, you know, investigators really shouldn't have been so quick to dismiss the witness Anything. statement <laughs> because you know people can get their timelines wrong, and it happens all the time. You know, and he's like, Deborah may have very well gotten the time wrong, but she was accurate in what she saw what she witnessed right. what she said that like she me, witnessed if i don't look at the clock when i'm doing something they'll be like oh what time is that oh any time between 12 and 8 i, mean, right. I don't know right i don't retain that kind of right guess i don't know um so a year and a half after her death the texas rangers opened a, their own investigation and deborah lambert was re-interviewed and her story was the same um Deborah even identified Rob Holman in a photo lineup. No. Right. But, you know, Joe said he's not sure how much, you know, how much weight that holds because he's like, there is no evidence of, or it's not documented how the lineup was done. Who is Joe again? Joe Mora? Yeah. Yeah, he's the uh, the CBS affiliate, or the CBS. Oh, on the, on the 48 hours yeah, thing. Yeah, on the 48 hours thing. Oh. Um, you know, I mean, was it... A picture of Rob, who's like a typical Texas good old boy, and or and were there then were there pictures of random people with other of other ethnicities? You know, I mean, there's no documentation on how it was done, cause and I have seen I can't think of a case offhand, but I've seen where like photo lineups are not done properly. Like if they want you to pick a certain bo- a certain person, like they could say put a picture of Rob, who's like Caucasian Texas, like salt of the earth type like you know yeah. farmer farmer type and then put pictures of a bunch of say white boys or like mexicans yeah. or something like that so it's like they're it's like they're grooming yeah like like they're they're leading her to pick the right well, yeah who they want or who they pick. want her to pick so and like you said, and that's not what it should be it should be no. everybody has similarities right and, and like that's why i don't we don't we don't really know if Deborah identifying Rob means anything because we don't know how the lineup was conducted. Because there was missing files. Yeah, because nothing was really documented. Um, I mean, you know, if photo lineups aren't done properly, people can very easily misidentify somebody. Making a murder, anybody? <laughs> um, but unfortunately for investigators, um, we may never know if Deborah was telling the truth about what she and her mother witnessed because... Um, both Deborah and her mother have now passed away. You know, I blame her though too. If she would have yeah. said something that night, maybe, right. I mean, she may have not been, she may her life may have not been spared, but maybe they would have caught who did it. Yeah, true. Um, so when the Texas Rangers were doing their investigation, they wanted to, um, they requested to interview Rob, and his attorney advised him not to speak with them. That's it. So, um, after the Texas Rangers had the case open for a year, they suspended their investigation um, with their conclusion stating there was, quote, no physical evidence, specific cause of death, or credible witnesses link that linked any particular person as a suspect, end quote. Yeah, because we've already checked off all those boxes. She didn't have a uterus. She, right. I mean, the lineup was jacked up. Like, <laughs> Possibly. I mean, right. any and everything that could have went wrong Went wrong. Mm-hmm. So, in preparation for their episode on Jennifer's unsolved murder, 48 Hours personnel showed up to Rob's house 
Rob's home in an attempt to speak with him. Savage. That'd have been me out there. Right. And, you know, and I watched it and it was like, he was like, hey, turn those cameras off. So he told them um, off camera that he didn't see Jennifer the night of her disappearance. And his attorney has advised him not to talk to anyone about her murder. Obviously. So then Rob's guilty. Right. So Rob's attorney then provided the following statement to 48 Hours. Obviously, this came from the episode. Um, So, quote, Robert Holman has neither been arrested nor charged with any criminal conduct as it relates to this investigation. This notwithstanding, Mr. Holman has, from the inception of this investigation, been treated by law enforcement as a suspect. Mr. Holman has maintained his innocence from the very beginning, and his position has not wavered. End quote. Okay. But he has no alibi, and his story's changed multiple times. Like, sketch E. And of course, he was, like, of course he's going to be treated as a suspect. Yeah, but you were sleeping with your ex-wife. Yeah, and it's always the spouse or the ex-spouse. Yeah, like, you were sleeping with your, ex, your ex-wife, and your uterus is missing. And she was allegedly pregnant. And like, you allegedly knew about it. Yeah, and, like, you kept it. Right. Why? And, you, and you had a girlfriend. You had a girlfriend. Right. So maybe he was hush-hush about it because... Oh my goodness, I didn't even think about that. Maybe because he had a girlfriend and he found out she was pregnant, like that's obviously going to throw a wrench into Motive, your girlfriend yeah. plans. Yeah. Oh my god, why did I not think of that? Dang, I'm a walnut. Podcast overload. Right. Um, so, I don't know. He's sketchy, for sure. So, I kind of want to talk about a few other theories that I, that I came across. And this one was definitely in the 48 Hours episode. Um... So, with Bonham being such a small town, like we already talked about, rumors were spreading like wildfire about Jennifer's disappearance and her murder. And about a year after her murder, people in the town were talking and saying that Miles Porter, who at the time was the district attorney overseeing Jennifer's case, was arrested for Jennifer's murder. Say what? Yeah, they were saying that, you know, he had a relationship with Jennifer, he was sleeping with Jennifer. And obviously, these were just vicious rumors. Um, You know, according to Miles himself on the 48 Hours episode, um, people in the town just fabricated this rumor completely due to a grudge against him for an unrelated case that he prosecuted, which I can totally see that. Totally. And he maintains that he never knew and never even met Jennifer. It had nothing to do with her death. Like, he didn't even know who she was. And, you know, he believes that he lost his reelection based on these rumors. Oh, no. And so um, he's currently in private practice, but he says that even 17 years after Jennifer's murder and the rumors of his involvement, he still faces backlash sometimes when people, wow. like, people will say, oh, you can't be impartial in, like, certain cases because of Jennifer. And then, like, they'll refuse to hire him. That's for I mean, that's got to be so terrible for him. Like, my heart breaks for him. career. Yeah, like, he lost everything due to rumors that ended up being just that. Rumors. Yeah. Like, that's that's really sad. Um, So, next I wanted to talk about um, the boyfriend, or ex-boyfriend, James Hamilton, which, like I said, we were going to get back to his girlfriend. I mean, did nobody ever look into her? Um, the ex-girlfriend who was the mother of his children oh like already already said that when james met and became involved with jennifer they were living together had a child and had a second child on the way 
And he just deuced out. And, I mean, I'm fairly certain the mother of his children might have been a little bit upset that her boyfriend was leaving her for another woman, especially while she's pregnant with their second child. Like, I I mean, like I said, I didn't really see anything online about her, but, I mean, I feel like that would be enough enough, motive to at least look into it. So, I don't know. Um, But Daryl Parker, so he's the private investigator, the former Marine, um, he said on the 48 Hours episode that um, he believes the evidence points to Rob Holman being Jennifer's killer. Mm-hmm. So um, Barry Wernick, you know, her brother-in-law, agrees. However, they haven't been able to conclusively link Rob to Jennifer's disappearance or her death. So um, they believe that Rob and Jennifer met up that night, the night that she disappeared, but there's, there's no proof of that. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, so, go back to his attorney saying, like, he's been labeled a suspect. Yeah, because he didn't have an alibi. Like... And she, you were still sleeping with her. She left. Um, she left. Didn't tell her friend who she was going to, mm-hmm. where she was going. Mm-hmm. And then he she, doesn't have an alibi. And then she just, no, no one ever sees her again. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. So, that just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Right. So, eight years after Jennifer's death, Daryl Parker, the private investigator, um, he was a lieutenant for the sheriff's department at the time. Um, he showed up to Rob's home on the anniversary of Jennifer's death, like I said, the eight-year anniversary, and he brought some photos of Rob and Jennifer for Rob to look at, and he told Rob, you know, if you want to talk, call me. So a few hours later, Rob called Daryl and said that he was, he wanted to talk to him, but Daryl wanted to record the conversation, So, which makes sense. Duh. <laughs> so he suggested that Rob meet him at the sheriff's office the next day. So the next day, Rob shows up with his lawyer. Of course. But this time in his interview, Rob denied ever thinking that Jennifer was pregnant, which completely contradicts what he said before, that Jennifer told him that he was pregnant. And, you know, he's like, um, Parker has, I watched the video, Parker asks him, um, do you think Jennifer was pregnant? And he's like, no. And he's like, do you think Jennifer thought she was pregnant? And he was like, no, I don't. Like, he even went so far as to say that he didn't even think, he denied that Jennifer ever thought she was pregnant. Sketchball. Right. Like, which, and like I said, his first interview with police following her disappearance, you know, that directly contradicts what he said, that he knew she was pregnant. Uh, she had told him that she was pregnant. Like, did did they call him out on it? Because that had been me. Yeah, and like, what what you know? He just kept saying, "No, I don't think so." And then he also stated that he had nothing to do with her death. But like I said before, he is sketchy. Like he would be like suspect number one. Yes, like, obviously. Um, but nothing ever. Obviously, nothing ever came of that. Um, next, I wanted to talk about a group called Riding for Justice. Um. According to their Facebook page, quote, Riding for Justice is just what it says, Riding for Justice. We started this ride in August 2015 because we had so many people who have been wronged by our justice system, end quote. Um, and they, they ride horses. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, what um, are they riding? They're riding horses, yeah. So, you know, they usually gather in Fannin County and they ride monthly to raise awareness for unsolved murders, missing person cases, etc. Um Riding for Justice, they they ride for Jennifer Harris, you know, among well, others. Was she um, an equestrian? Did she ride? No, her? no, she's just one of the cases. That, she's not the only one. She's just uh, one of the cases that they ride for. Um, and if you would like more information, you can find them on Facebook by searching 
Riding for Justice, one word, with the number four in the middle. Gotcha. Um, so, kind of just want to circle back, talk about where we are today. Um, Sheriff Mark Johnson and Private Investigator Daryl Parker, along with Jennifer's sister and brother-in-law, Alyssa and Barry Wernick, are determined that they will not stop searching for answers until Jennifer's killer is brought to justice. Which, I feel like if one of my family members was, you know, murdered, I would definitely want to fight too. Um, Sheriff Johnson of the Fannin County Sheriff's Office will not call Rob or James suspects because, according to him, there isn't enough evidence to officially identify them as such or call them as such. Um, Neither Rob Holman nor James Hamilton have ever been arrested in connection with Jennifer's murder. And... I've already talked with them a little bit, but Jennifer's sister, Alyssa Wernick, and her filmmaker husband, Barry Wernick, are currently working with Daryl Parker, the private investigator, Jim Holloway, who's the other private eye, and the sheriff, Mark Johnson, to create a docuseries titled Justice for Jennifer. Uh So you can follow the progress on the docuseries on their website at redrabbitjustice.com. Um, although once this docuseries is released, I'm sure we'll definitely post it on our Facebook page and let everybody know. Right. So that's kind of kind of where we are. I don't know if you want to final thoughts. Do you think? Oh, he did it. I, I think it, it was. I think it was Rob. I really do. And I'm gonna call him a suspect. Like I really do think it was him, and and he's just walking around. There's Seventeen years much, later, there's too many unanswered questions with him. Right. And I understand you have to have concrete evidence to charge him. Totally. It's just, it's just really it's sad just that there's him. all this like circumstantial evidence almost like pointing to like you don't have an alibi. You were sleeping with her. Your story has changed. Like first you said telling police that you knew you she was pregnant and then you're saying she's now you're saying you don't think she was ever pregnant, like which is it? Pick one. You yeah. can't you duplicitous Preferably the truth. Stop being so duplicitous. Yeah. Like so um if you have any information about the Jennifer Harris case, please contact the Fannin County Sheriff's Office at 903-583-2143. And Jennifer's family is currently offering a $100,000 reward for information that leads to an arrest in the cold case. And they're actually accepting donations right now. I think they're trying to get it to 250000 like the reward to up it. Mm-hmm. So for more information on how you can help or donate, please visit redrabbitjustice.com. Well, that's the case of the unsolved murder of Jennifer Harris. Thank you for listening to Homicide Homegirls. If you enjoyed today's episode, head on over to our Facebook page and leave us a review or rate us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you want to be the first to know when an episode is released, make sure you subscribe to our podcast, follow us on Instagram at Homicide Homegirls, Facebook at facebook.com slash Homicide Homegirls Podcast, and Twitter at Homegirls Pod. If you would like to suggest an episode, use the form located on our Facebook page. Once a month, we plan to answer fan-submitted questions in a segment we like to call hashtag AskTheHomeGirls. So be sure to use the form on our Facebook page to submit your questions. 